You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Happy Easter, everybody. I'm Jeremy Rose, one of the pastors here at the Axis. And today, I have the joy and the honor, privilege of telling you about Jesus Christ. I will do so from the firsthand perspective of Simon Peter, the leader of the disciples, one of the leaders of the early church, presented in sort of the form of a monologue. Here we go. It is over. It's over. You heard it. We all heard it. Jesus shouted it from the cross just before he passed away, hanging there. And it sent chills over me and everyone around who was close enough to hear it. And then it thundered. It's as if his final words echoed around the world. Even the earth shook and it became dark in the middle of the day. You could hardly see your hand in front of your face. It was a terrible, horrific moment. And then I heard and I I later saw for myself with my own eyes how the curtain in the temple was torn. It was torn from top to bottom, which was really strange. You know, it was the, the, the curtain that protected the Holy of Holies there. A place where the, the Holy Spirit of God is, is dwelling. And it was just three years ago that I first met Jesus, Jesus of, of Nazareth. And I was minding my own business, I remember. I was fishing with my brother Andrew, my dad Zebedee. My father owns a fishing company, and as I became old enough, as I grew old enough, I was able to become a partner with him. It's kind of like our family business. And then Jesus came up to us while we were repairing our fishing gear and equipment uh, to prepare for our next trip out, and he powerfully called out to us. To be honest, it startled me a bit. He called out to me, and he called out to Andrew, and he says, come and follow me. See, we're rural fishermen, and a rabbi came to our town, our little town, and invited us to learn from him, to to be discipled by him. Of course we followed him. We'd be crazy not to. And I can remember, I can still remember how happy my dad was about this. And you would always hear him talking about his two sons following a Jewish, a real Jewish rabbi. He could never get those words out without grinning ear to ear. Then we followed Jesus. We learned so much from Jesus for three years. It was nearly three and a half years. And I'll be honest, I I really thought that he was the Messiah. I believed him. I believed in him. And at one point in my life, I remember Jesus squared me up, looked me eye to eye. It was a little intimidating. But he asked me personally, he says, Simon, who do you say that I am? And I admitted it. I confessed it right there before him as we were locking eyes. I said with my own mouth, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I was committed to him. And then it got really rough there for a bit. The religious leaders just began putting so much pressure on Jesus to get him to stop his teaching. I just, I just knew things were going to make a turn for the better, but the Pharisees just wouldn't let up. They wouldn't stop until Jesus stopped. And they stopped him, all right. Gosh, I remember that like it was yesterday. We shared a meal, a Passover meal together. And Jesus told us, his 12 closest, most dedicated followers, that one of us would betray him. And one did. Judas Iscariot, one of our own. 
I mean, to be honest, if I had one last meal, one last meal, I wouldn't spend it with someone that I knew would lie about me, betray me. I wouldn't serve him. I wouldn't wash his feet. Jesus did. He even served Judas. He even served each one of us a meal of remembrance. It's where he, at the end of our meal, he took some bread and he took some wine. And it was a little confusing, but it was powerful. And he said that the the bread was his body and the wine was his blood. And then after this, Judas slipped out. And so myself and the other ten disciples and and Jesus, we went to our our sacred spot. It's kind of like our secret meeting place that we would always go to at odd times during the day or in the middle of the night to, to pray together, the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was there that Jesus asked us to pray with him. Specifically, he asked James and John and myself, but it was in the middle of the night. It was really late, and I, I was just tired. But Jesus was awake. As I think back, he was so focused. He was so alert and concerned. I've never seen him so deeply troubled as he was on this night. And then after completely dozing off, he woke us up telling us that Judas was the betrayer. And it made sense. That's why he slipped out. He said that Judas was near. And then the unthinkable happened. Judas led him to our sacred place, to our special place. And the guards arrested Jesus. And I tried to stop him. I aimed for the head and the neck of the the first one that was closest to Jesus. I missed I got his ear, and then, and then Jesus bends down and picks up the, the guard's ear, and he blows the, the dirt off, and he replaces it as good as new. He heals the one who was arresting him. This is the kind of guy he was. And then he told me, he, he screamed at me, telling me, Peter, put your sword away, and I did as I ran off in fear of being arrested myself. But then later that morning, I was confronted three different times about my personal association with Jesus. And I completely denied every single association. I mean, if he were actually the Messiah, I would not deny him. But he's clearly not. So in the moment, I didn't really feel like I was denying the Messiah. Just a man who claimed to be. A man who was wrong. And then as, if, as, as soon as this happened, I heard out of the silence a rooster make the loudest sound that you've ever heard with your ears. And at the same moment, they drug Jesus around the corner and we locked eyes. It was just for a second. I couldn't have endured it if it was more. But we locked eyes and it's as if he looked completely into my past and into my present. He saw all the way to the depths of my core. He could look right through me. And I've never seen such brokenness in my life. In his eyes, I've never seen such brokenness yet. At the same time, tender compassion, love, and grace. And then they beat Jesus. Gosh, they made fun of him. I mean, y'all, they pretended worshiping him. They took all his claims that he made and twisted them, perverted them, and made a mockery of them. It was this game to them. It was like entertainment. And then they nearly killed him, beating him with that cat of nine tails whip, the whip that's made of bone and stone. I cannot forget those images. He had organs that were, vi- that were vital, organs that were exposed and hanging from his torso. It was gross. I can't exaggerate it. You could see parts of his shoulder blade and his spine, his elbows exposed but not one of them were broken. It was the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. People were passing out. People were throwing up. They were, they were running away. It was gruesome. And he just took it. He just took it. Now, he was a strong man, a carpenter. I and mean, I've seen his strength many times before. 
And I'll tell you, there's not many people who could have stayed alive through all this. I know that he was strong enough to fight back. I know that he was strong enough to not just take it. You would think he would do something about it, but he just let it happen. He let it happen almost to the point where you thought he'd want it to happen. Anyways, they killed him. They actually crucified him as a criminal, like a criminal. And I don't know why, because he was a good man. And and now that I think about it, I've never seen him do anything wrong, ever. I mean, we've been pondering, like, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know if you ever asked that before, but that actually only happened one time. And he seemed to want it to happen. And then they made sure he was dead. A Roman guard, I remember he took a spear, a long spear, and he jabbed it into his side, and blood and water flowed. And now where I sit today, I'm a little bit embarrassed because for a minute there, I actually thought he was the Messiah. I mean, if you really think about it, all the signs were pointing in that direction. But like he said on the cross, it's over. His actual words, it is finished. What I heard was, we were close, but we failed. What I heard was, it's time for us to pack up and go home. So I went back to my dad started back in the fishing business. And now I'm trying to live as if those three years never happened. I've got some regrets. I mean, I feel stupid. I feel sad. I mean, the potential, the possibilities, now nothing but sorrow and regret. I feel dead and empty on the inside. I feel completely heartbroken. But then, on on that next Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, now she's a lady with a story. She she was deeply encouraged and changed by Jesus. She came running like I've never seen anyone running before in my life. She came sprinting up to me and John, which is not like her, and she screams out to us that Jesus is alive. She said that she had just seen Jesus and talked with him. Now, I know what you're thinking. Not just his tomb, right? Not just his body in the tomb. She told us that he was alive, not dead. My heart rate instantly tripled. John and I sprint across town to the tomb where Joseph and Nicodemus had Jesus placed and that giant boulder that they rolled into place with with the mules and the camels we couldn't even find it it was completely gone now John did outrun me because I am older but I was the first to go into the tomb and I began to look around and it was empty I mean the shroud was there the the garments were there nicely folded but Jesus was gone his body wasn't there my thoughts were so jumbled I was so confused I dropped to my knee and I began to process with John all that's going together all this going through my mind. And at first I thought, I thought and feared that someone maybe had stolen his body for whatever sick reasons. And then, is Mary tricking us? Is this a, is this a joke? But as we processed, we, we remembered something. We, we never knew what Jesus meant when he talked about his arrest and beating and his crucifixion in Jerusalem. You see, we never got that. That never stuck. We never understood that. And, and as we were reminiscing about all this, trying to figure out this mystery, we recalled something Jesus said in regards to all this. He said that he would beat death after three days. He said that after three days he would rise again. 
Friends, that's what this is. He knew this was going to happen. He told us. He told me so many times, and I just never got it. I get it now. This is his resurrection. Jesus is alive. Now, now later on, we all got together, and we were praying, and Jesus came in the very midst of the room and talked with us, and we talked with him. We saw him, even doubting Thomas, you know, stubborn him. Yeah, he believes now. And then later, Jesus, he appeared to over 500 of us at one time, and let me remind you, we don't have groups hallucinations. And then he, he appeared to female disciples, and he appeared to so many other followers. And he taught us more and more before he left to go prepare what he called a heavenly home for us to be with him forever in paradise. He told us that if we ever came across the guard who pierced him, to tell that man that there's a better way to get to his heart if he would simply believe. He told us that if we ever came across the man who pierced his hands, that that hand is extended to him if he would simply believe. And then he commissioned us. He commissioned us. He, he sent us out on mission to do the works that he was doing, to preach the good news of the gospel, to make disciples and baptize them in his name. So we are now participating in the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. We get to be involved in this. Can you believe this? Like fishermen, tax collectors, sinners. <laughs> like, we get to do this. this. This is all making sense now. You see, when I heard Jesus say on the cross, it is over, I heard, we were so close. I heard, go home, I'm done. But what Jesus really meant was, it is finished, come home, it's done. It's all been fully taken care of. This was a misunderstanding in my mind. It is finished but not in the way that I thought. What Jesus meant was is that he reversed the curse. You see, the abandoned can now be claimed. Those hiding can now be fully known and fully loved. The broken can now be restored. The rejected can now be received, embraced, and hugged. The lonely orphan is now adopted and enjoys family. The fearful are now comforted and made courageous. The hurt are now healed and made happy. Our heavy burdens are now light and easy. Our shame has been turned into joy. Our guilt is gone and we're free and we're wearing a grin. Our sin is forgiven and our sorrow has been turned into gladness and celebration. What Jesus meant when he said it is finished, he meant that he was giving himself as a religious sacrificial offering to atone for our sin. So he actually is the Messiah, not the political earthly one that we were anticipating. He's the eternal Messiah, the suffering servant. He came to accomplish the necessary requirements by being a sacrifice for us as us in our place. It's just like John the Baptist said and knew three and a half years ago, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we all know that Jesus is who he says he is because three days after his death, he made good on his word. He made good on his promise. When he beat death, when he did rise again, he is alive. And friends, all that's needed for us to be restored back into friendship with God has been taken care of through what Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, later on in my life, I actually died for my belief in Jesus. I too was crucified for my belief in Jesus. And just to think, 
that earlier I ran out of fear and I denied Jesus publicly. You see, I was so scared. But after seeing Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, after seeing him up and walking and teaching, talking, cooking, serving, and eating, I can never deny that. I, I, I will forever be changed. Friends gathering here in Nashville, Tennessee on this very special Easter morning. It is an historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth lived and died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Christian and non-Christian alike agree that this is fact. It's not myth, nor is it fantasy. And many people like to visit the tomb of Jesus. But what makes his tomb special, what makes his tomb very different, is unlike other revolutionaries, the tomb of Christ is famous for what can't be found there. You see, Jesus is alive. He lives. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive, just as he said. And you know, when I think back over church history, and I consider guys like Peter, just people, just a person, just like you and just like me, there's really no other explanation for the radical change in the behavior of Peter and the other scared disciples who in one moment they run out of fear and shame and totally and absolutely bail on Christ and run out of fear and want nothing to do with him and then they die martyrs deaths you'll suffer a paper cut for an idea you will only die for what you know to be fact and these men changed they ran like scaredy cats but then they die like courageous lions how does that happen the only fa- the only thing i can see is that they actually saw something they experienced something that they could not deny they saw one that was as dead as dead gets as dead he was so dead he didn't need to be crucified he was going to die of blood loss he was going to die that evening regardless of the cross the nails didn't add anything they saw a dead man And they saw him three days later alive and fresh. You see, it's a fact. Jesus lives, and this matters for you, and it matters for me. You see, you and I were created to be in a relationship with God, but this unique relationship with God requires that we be like him, perfect and holy without sin. And quite frankly, it requires that we be alive, and we're dead. The Bible says we're dead in our sins. We're dead to the things of God. We have much more than just an indifference to him. We have a hatred to him and the things that have to do with him. And our sin and our rebellion disqualifies us from a relationship with God. God, the God of the universe the creator, designer, and architect of the universe, your heart, your mind, your soul, and your life. And so this separation is a huge problem. This is the the greatest problem you will ever face in your life. You see, we're all born sinners, and God's Word teaches us that we're, we're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. But the Gospel says that Jesus lived perfectly without sin for you, that He died on the cross as your substitute in order to forgive you of your sin, in order to love you the way you were intended to be loved, and to redeem you to Himself. In the words of Peter in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might reconcile us to God, that he might bring us to God. Friends, Jesus lived perfectly and died as your substitute in order to forgive your sin, in order for him to kill your death, in order for him to push pause and stop your funeral entirely, to bring you back to life and bring you back to relationship with God. Death in the grave is what you deserve. It's what I deserve. Yet Jesus Christ endured both of those as us and for us if we would simply believe in him and hope in him. 
Jesus, the Savior, took it upon himself to be fully responsible for you, my friend. He didn't leave it up to someone else. He certainly didn't leave it up to you to try harder, to try to be good enough, to try to work hard enough. He did all the work that was necessary. It's on the cross that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that's towards us and our sin. And it's on the cross where he gives us his righteousness. This is what many consider to be the great exchange. Our sin for his righteousness, his righteousness for our sin. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ who knew no sin, he made him sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus died for you, but the death of Jesus wasn't the end of Jesus. The movement that began, that that, that has ensued over the last 2,000 years, continues to this day because of what happened after the death of Christ. He lives. Jesus Christ is alive. Our Savior lives. The grave would not crush Jesus. Our sin could not crush Jesus. The enemy's power could not crush Jesus. Death's damned grip could not crush Jesus and hold him back from life. In three brief days, our Savior, Jesus the Christ, arose from the grave and he announced victory and freedom and a giant. I told you so because Jesus was simply too powerful and wonderful. Jesus was simply too strong and mighty. He was simply too majestic and loving. He was too determined. He was too glorious. He was too much God to be held back by death. And so you and I, we celebrate Easter not because only of what Jesus did in his victory in his resurrection, but also because his victory over death can be our victory over death. And for those who believe it is your victory over death because Jesus is alive. Though sin was ultimately destroyed at the death of Jesus, Jesus was not destroyed. Death was dying as Jesus was dying, but Jesus beat death. He got up, knocked death out, threw him back in the grave. The resurrection is God's way of stamping across all of human history, paid in full, completely taken care of. In the words of Christ, it really is is finished. He is alive, and during his perfect life, he overcame the power of sin by not sinning every second of his life. On Friday, Jesus overcame the penalty of our sin by absorbing the wrath of God for us in our place. The Bible calls this being our propitiation, our wrath sponge. He owned every bit of the punishment for us. And on Sunday, he arose, overcoming death, giving us life eternally. And this salvation through Christ, by faith and grace, does not come to us based on merit pedigree, race, class, gender, or pecking order. The gospel tells us everyone is bad. Jesus is the only perfect and good. The gospel is that through Jesus, the bad become perfect, the dead become alive, the orphan is adopted, and enemies become cherished sons and daughters with a magnificent inheritance. The gospel isn't the good are in and the bad are out. That's what we would think. The gospel is the humble are in and the proud are out. The gospel isn't you must do. The gospel is Jesus has done. He's done all that's needed. So friends, the gospel isn't that you must work hard, that you must try to give God a perfect record. That's moralism. That'll send you to hell. That is horrible. It's a trick. It's awful. This is not the gospel. The gospel is that God gives you by grace a perfect record through the hard work of Jesus. That's why we make much of Jesus and not ourselves. Because Jesus is the Savior. We're terrible saviors. He's fully prepared the way for us. 
Christ. But what about for you? Do you believe this? How do you get in Christ? How can he be your savior? How can this be made true for you? How can you who are dead in your sin be made alive? How can you have hope of an eternity in paradise that's peaceful with him forever? How can this become true for you? You simply believe this. That's it. You believe that he's God. You believe that he did all the work necessary to save you. You trust Jesus. You confess to God in prayer that you're a sinner and you've got to be saved. You tell him that you believe him. You ask him for mercy. You ask him for grace. You ask him to save you from your sin. He will. He does. Call out to him. Pray to him. Ask him to save you. And for those friends who are desiring to more, learn more about this, if you want to become a Christian today on this Easter Sunday, right now we're going to be going into communion. And I encourage you to go hang out with our prayer team. They want to guide you there. I'll be right here. I want you to come up here and talk to me. And we'll pray together. And I'll guide you through what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't miss out on this opportunity to come to Jesus Christ. Please believe him. Please believe him. Now as we move to communion and celebrate this finished work of Jesus with the bread and the wine, I want to point out something that came across my radar this week. <clears throat> you know, sin and brokenness, it came into the, into the world. It entered into the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they were told by the lying serpent there in the Garden of Eden, take and eat, and everything began to fall apart. But by God's grace and love, sin and brokenness has an expiration date placed on it when Jesus Christ looked at his disciples and said the same words, take and eat. And the following events changed everything. The work of Jesus may have divided our calendars, but the work of Jesus unites us back to God. And that's what this time is for, is remembering his work. So let's remember during this time, let's repent and turn to him during this time, and let's rejoice over the work of Jesus Christ for us and as us. So the bread we have is symbolic of his body and his perfect life. So as you grab that bread, think of his perfect life, perfection representative. Perfection, he lived as your representative. Then you're going to take it and dip it in the juice or wine, which is symbolic of his blood, which is his death, where he died as your substitute taking your place, representative and substitute. So come to the table remembering, repenting, and rejoicing. Christians, I invite you to come and take. Those yet to be made Christians this morning, I invite you to take Jesus and leave this room a Christian. Leave this room knowing what it's like to have peace when it comes to what happens after this life, to have peace that you know that you've been forgiven. Leave here alive, knowing that you've been made alive through the death of and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that this is true. Thank you for the power you have to save and change. Thank you for being so patient with us as we believe, as we seek to believe more, as we seek to follow in obedience. Father, give us courage to live on mission as the commissioned ones. Lord, give my friends courage to pursue you, to call out to you for mercy and grace and experience forgiveness and peace like they've never known before.
Lord, it's what they're looking for. Lord, give them courage and bravery to be able to admit their need and save them, Father. Lord, add your special blessing to this time of remembering and repenting and rejoicing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, we've got communion servers on either side here. We've also got a communion table over in the back corner. Our minister of prayer back here, Mr. Gordon, is going to be back here praying. I'm going to be right here. Please come and see us, friends, if you want to take Jesus and be made a Christian, be made alive by faith this morning. You, can, you guys can come when you're ready. You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.